You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A growing wildfire count is fueling fears about what will unfold in the weeks ahead in our province. Summer hasn't even officially begun and yet we've already seen several hot dry stretches elevating the risk and we're heading into another one. Our Krista Dow is live in the newsroom tracking the wildfire situation in BC. Krista, right now there are 78 active wildfire, wildfires and seven in the last 24 hours alone. Yeah, and Sophie, there are concerns more fires will be sparked with hotter temperatures on the way. And just in now from the Coastal Fire Centre, campfires will be banned in that region except for Haida Gwaii. That's effective Thursday at noon. Now the ban comes as firefighters battle the out-of-control Cameron Bluffs fire burning west of Highway 4 near Cathedral Grove. The Coastal Fire Centre says there are three helicopters currently bucketing water to fight the fire, currently burning 109 hectares of of land. The heavy smoke highly visible from the road and is causing major traffic tie-ups on that stretch of Highway 4, which is now closed in both directions. Another fire that remains out of control is the Pigeon Creek wildfire burning west of Peachland. The fire was sparked Sunday and has grown to about 33 hectares in size with high winds fueling the growth. And the Donny Creek fire near Fort St. John continues to burn. It is now the second largest wildfire in B.C. history. The fire is estimated at more than 2,400 square kilometers in size, with records showing the 27 Plateau fire as still the largest at roughly double that size. Now, as for what the fire forecast looks like, officials say they need rain. This has been the driest May on record for the coast. The current fire danger rating is moderate to high for the entire coastal fire center with the exception of the Haida Gwaii Forest District. Um, this means that we are seeing forest fuels drying and they will continue to dry until we see a significant amount of rainfall and that is not in the current forecast. Sophie, regarding the Cameron Bluffs fire, there is currently no risk to people or property, but people are reminded to not stop on the side of the road as it can impact fire operations. All right, busy uh, stretch there with people going, uh, uh, you know, to Port Alberni in the west coast of Vancouver Island, though. Thanks for that. Krista Dow reporting live for us tonight. Now let's bring in senior meteorologist Christy Gordon for more on this heat, the mini heat wave, Christy, and when it's going to peak, because it depends on where you live. Yeah, so for the South Coast area, the peak is today and will happen again tomorrow. We saw 31 degrees away from the water. Caldas Lake reached 32, and we're expecting similar conditions tomorrow. We're, we're going to see a significant drop on Friday, and that brings in a chance of showers to the Metro Vancouver region. But there are some parts of the province that could see more substantial rainfall, and I'll have that when I come back, but it's not necessarily the South Coast. Now, those of you in the interior, this is the timeline of your heat. The peak will be Wednesday and Thursday, where we're talking about 35 degrees, but areas like Lytton could reach 37 degrees. Also a drop in temperature as the potential for some moisture shifts in. But again, uh, the South Coast area, not expecting much at all. Back to you. All right, thanks for that, Christy. BC wildfire experts are calling for a more holistic approach to fire management. As Kristen Robinson reports, they say we can improve the way we fight and prevent fires through Indigenous teachings. I'd like to see a state emergency declared because we've got this huge fire on a third of our territory right now. 
When wildfires near Kamloops threatened Skeetchison land in the summer of 2021, Mike Anderson felt the province's firefight was lacking indigenous knowledge. I, I think we're moving in the right direction now. Two years later, the band is working with the BC Wildfire Service and the Skeetchison Natural Resources Advisor says they're weeks away from having a wildland fire truck with a trained crew. We intend to be one of the initial attack crews within our territory, which I think is have a, a, big, a big effect. And hopefully along with that, there will be a realization that Indigenous people have knowledge that all firefighters require. We're talking about a community that has generations of people that have experienced various uh, events such as wildfires, floods, etc. And so they actually have a depth of history and knowledge that they could share with us. BCIT instructor and wildfire expert Justin Perry, who has mapped thousands of fires as a drone pilot, says we can improve the way fires are being managed through Indigenous teachings and a holistic approach of technology and culture. I think there needs to be some more sovereignty given to each community and how they manage it on the land. But at the same time, wildfire is a very complex thing. And if there's not enough support or guidance that is given to it, it's something that can grow out of control very rapidly. And we're right here. And we do know our land and we know exactly how to get wherever point there happens to be a fire. Anderson says dedicating more provincial resources to allowing Indigenous populations to protect their land would be an invaluable investment. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Highway 97 in the South Okanagan is partially reopened tonight after being shut down by a landslide for the second time in less than a month. Crews have been working to clear debris that came down when a silt bluff gave way near Summerland, bringing down 175 cubic meters of debris. The major route was closed for more than 12 hours. This slide just 200 meters from another one last month. Single lane alternating traffic is still in place there to allow safety measures to be put in place. It was a surprise to all of us, I think, and some disappointment, obviously. We're just starting to see some real progress being made on the first slide. It's getting a more of a concern having a major highway closed all the time. Thankfully, no vehicles were caught in either slide. Crews are building a retaining wall at the site of last month's slide. No word if they're going to extend it to the location of the latest one. Well, classes are dark, midterms are canceled, and students at Capilano University are wondering if they'll be able to complete their summer term. A strike by support workers was halted or has halted instruction at the university. As Catherine Urquhart reports, many of the major issues have been settled, but a key sticking point remains. Picketers circle Capilano University's main campus in North Vancouver, which is closed amid a full-scale strike. Instructors are now supporting administrative employees who have been without a collective agreement since June 2022. They said go away! We said go away! The university says it's offering increases of 12 to 13 percent over three years, which would carry the agreement through June of 2025. It's also offering a wellness spending account of $300 per year for regular employees. The sticking point? 
language related to remote work. I think going through the pandemic, it showed us all that we can work from home. It allows people to save money on their commute times. It allows people to spend more time with their children at the end of the day. According to Capilano University, the language proposed by MoveUp has the potential to compromise service delivery at the university. Also impacted by the strike, the Lonsdale and Sechelt campuses. As for students, some say they were unaware of the labour action until they arrived for classes and exams. Today is my second midterm, so I was, uh, I'm well prepared for that and uh, now, it, now it's been postponed. It's a little disappointing because I came from Surrey. Along this I have covered and yet there's no class today. BC's post-secondary education minister, Selena Robinson, declined an interview saying bargaining is best kept between the parties at the table where we hope they can work collaboratively to reach an agreement. They've said unless we don't materially revise our stance on the work from home language, they're not interested to coming to the table. Convocation events are slated for the next few days and will go ahead as planned. As for when there could be a resolution to this dispute, that remains unclear. No talks are planned. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Well, Keith Baldry joins us with more on this. And Keith, when it comes to collective bargaining in this province, where are we? Yeah, when it comes to public sector collective bargaining, we're in a pretty good place. If you just watch Catherine's story, you might think, hey, I haven't seen a picket line very often. You'd be right. In fact, in the public sector, 400,000 employees up for contract talks, and we've had very little job action. That wasn't anticipated at the beginning of talks, and thankfully, this is sort of an anomaly rather than a regular pattern. Here's an update on where we stand with public sector bargaining in terms of all the unions out there. 125 of 189 contracts are now signed. That covers 359,000, or 91 percent of the employees are now covered. But interestingly, to, to the point the union is making in Catherine's story, no new contracts contain language pertaining to remote work. There are some grandfathered clauses, but not new ones. R instead, letters of understanding for remote work are in use in a number of workplaces. Interestingly enough, you may recall just a few weeks ago, the Public Service Alliance of Canada, which is the huge federal government employees union, 140,000 members, went on strike for a couple weeks. The chief issue there was remote work. They returned to work, not with the contract language changed, but with a letter of understanding. It'll be interesting to see whether the 424 employees at Cap College can pull off something here in terms of getting the contract language changed that 140,000 uh, public service alliance workers could not achieve at the federal level. So it's an unusual labor dispute, to say the least. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks for that. Keith Baldry in Victoria. Well, BC's Port Workers Union has authorized a strike vote for later this week. The International Longshore and Warehouse Union Canada represents about 7,400 dock workers and foremen. The current contract between the union and the BC Maritime Employers Association expired at the end of March. The two sides are currently in a 21-day cooling-off period following mediation. That puts the workers in a strike or lockout position by the end of the month. The strike vote will be held on Friday and Saturday. Three and a half years after ride-hailing services hit the road in Metro Vancouver, Uber has now started rolling in Victoria, Kelowna and Chilliwack. A long wait due to a very drawn-out approval process by the Passenger Transportation Board. And as Richard Zussman reports, a number of labour and competition issues are still being worked out. It's a ride years in the waiting. Well, I'm here also. Such service. <laughs> <laughs> 
Victoria Mayor Marianne Alto arriving in the first Uber ride in the capital city. The ride-hailing giant originally rejected by the province's passenger transportation board to operate in Victoria, Kelowna and Chilliwack. But as of noon Tuesday, they have the green light. Hopefully. Victoria will change and that, number one, impaired driving will go down because people will have safe rides late at night. Uber and Lyft, the biggest ride-hailing companies in the industry, have been operating in Vancouver since 2020 after a controversial ride to get into the city. Victoria and Kelowna's delay even longer, with the tourism sector welcoming the service. We are now a very recognizable international destination. And uh, when people came here, they were a bit perplexed as to why, with so many other communities being involved with rideshare, we didn't have it here. The taxi industry has been bracing for change, flagging the government, saying that more needs to be done to ensure there's a level playing field, especially when it comes to driver hours, where taxi drivers are paid a set shift, Uber drivers are only paid when a ride's in action. For 15 hours or 14 hours, it might be counted only three hours. That's no comparison. There's no level playing field. Uber and other app-based companies are not required to pay their drivers minimum wage, nor do they qualify for workers' compensation if they're involved in an incident while driving. The companies are currently working outside of British Columbia's employment laws, and uh, that puts workers at risk. It puts British Columbians at risk. Ride-sharing companies are required by the province to siphon some money off each ride to support the taxi industry hoping a taxi industry plus ride-hailing will mean customers looking for a ride will no longer be left waiting. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Well, parks are a popular place to capture memorable moments from anniversaries to weddings. But Metro Vancouver says too many commercial photographers are going where they don't belong. So the region wants to bring in a permit system. As Janet Brown reports, though, some professionals see it as nothing more than a cash grab. And so what we have here is uh, you can kind of see a bit of a trail going in there, a bit of the grass is depressed there, so people are going off trails. It's actually a really sensitive ecosystem. These tall grasses provide cover for nests and wildlife. So because some people aren't sticking to the footpaths and trails, the Metro Vancouver Regional District is testing out a permitting system for commercial photographers here at Langley's Campbell Valley Regional Park in an effort to keep all of its 23 parks pristine. Proposed is a $400 annual fee. We've noticed uh, a huge increase in nature photographers uh, and also commercial photographers, uh, wedding photographers in our parks, and they're starting to create some conflicts, uh, sometimes uh, disturbing uh, nesting birds and other wildlife. Commercial photographer Jazz Gill is calling the proposed permitting system unfair and a money grab. There is no proof or data to show that it is photographers that are disturbing the wildlife that are damaging the environment. She has launched an online petition to challenge the proposal, collecting close to 2,000 signatures so far. It is a lot for photographers to put onto their clients as well because photographers already pay for so much equipment. People in Campbell Valley Regional Park had mixed reactions. We're only taking pictures, but they are leaving a lot of footprints sometimes. <laughs> and uh, so therefore you do sometimes need to uh, be proactive. I don't believe that that's a very good idea. I think that um, people who come to get their photo shoots down here should 
to be able to do that. Nature belongs to everybody, and I don't think anyone should have to pay to enjoy it. Metro Vancouver says if the plan goes ahead, those who need permits will include anyone taking photos intended to be sold or used for commercial purposes. Janet Brown, cool. Global News. Perfect. Well, a Delta couple will probably never look at their pool the same way again after a mysterious object fell from the sky. Boom, big huge splash, and then it was over. The strange substance they think is space debris and an expert opinion on what it actually might be. Next on the News Hour. Um, I don't know. PGA players in shock today after the announcement of a merger between the PGA and Live Golf. How it happened later on the news hour. Plus, whether it's political, military, disasters, whatever, it's all gone when they come in here. Supporting our brave men and women in uniform when they find themselves in need. How Honor Ranch is there to help later. Right now, though, a Delta man thinks something from out of this world landed in his pool on Monday, and he's determined to get to the bottom of it. The homeowner says the situation is extraordinary. But as Grace Key reports, experts say it's likely not extraterrestrial. It was like a black lightning bolt. That's how fast it came in. Like it was the blink of an eye. And boom, and it landed right there. Six o'clock Monday morning, Justin Broad was looking at his garden in his Delta home when something fell from the sky and made a huge splash into his pool. And I'm studying it. I'm like, that's sand. It's not solid anymore. And it's very heavy. I assumed it was a meteor, a little meteor or something. So the plan, we decided um, we're going to drain the pool. We called our pool guy, we got the pump out here, we started pumping it out. So then I very gingerly went in there. I made some extraction tools and we, we got a little tray. Maybe this is a scientific anomaly, I don't know. Justin recorded the extraction and put the material on a tray to let it dry out. I'm assuming that it came from space. I mean, what else could it be? I don't know. We contacted an associate professor at the University of Calgary's Geoscience Department who looked at the video and helped us solve the mystery. And in his professional opinion... It looks like terrestrial mud. I mean, that just means mud from this planet. Professor Alan Hildebrand says there are some unusual meteorites that are made out of clay, but they look black or dark grey. His office has gotten several inquiries over the years. In 20 years, in terms of messages that came to my office, uh, at least one of those was a real meteorite. Over the years, we've accumulated a box of meteor wrong, so to speak. I would really be curious to know, um, at least we'd have closure where it came from. Justin has contacted UBC and is interested in taking a sample to get tested. Grace Key, Global News. Well, the city of Surrey has stepped in to help a women's softball team from Ukraine compete in B.C. with a commitment that should get them one big step closer. We told you last week the Ukraine junior national softball team would not be able to take part in the Canada Cup in Surrey, one of the world's biggest stages for women's softball because their funding had fallen through. Canada Cup organizers have been fundraising, trying to come up with the $60,000 needed to bring the team to B.C. Surrey City Council has now voted to allocate up to $5,000 from its council initiative fund. 
With the GoFundMe page already at more than 55,000, it now looks like they will have the money. The next challenge, getting visas for the players as they have less than a month before the tournament. Coming up, addressing the impacts of climate change. And a lot of our data now is coming to show us that we need to do something. Vancouver Island's largest estuary restoration project gets underway. Why it's vitally important for countless species. Plus, making strides, Indigenous youth are accessing higher education and employment in growing numbers. Why there's still ways to go next. Traffic is steady in both directions this evening at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Keep in mind, though, there's overnight joint maintenance, and that's going to affect southbound traffic between 9 p.m. and 5 a.m. Contact Kermac for expert windshield repair and replacement services while supporting Kermac Cares for Kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services. Choose the best. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Indigenous youth have made great strides in earning university degrees over the past decade. There's been an 85% increase. But as Travis Prasad reports, many obstacles remain in getting an education. In the field of education, steps toward reconciliation are clear, like this Orange Shirt Day event at UBC. Still, some Indigenous youth say something is missing. They are not feeling the full effects of reconciliation efforts. In a new report, Deloitte heard from a focus group of 20 First Nations and Métis youth. The professional services firm says all of them identified shortcomings in post-secondary settings that might keep some from enrolling. Is there any kind of um, learning supports in place? Uh, are there Indigenous instructors, Indigenous course content? Basically, are they? do they feel at while a growing number of Indigenous peoples are getting post-secondary educations, the report highlights a big disparity. As of 2021, 11% of Indigenous peoples held a bachelor's degree or higher, compared to 35% for non-Indigenous peoples. Dylan Adam is a Métis political science student at UBC Okanagan and one of the youth leaders testifying before senators in Ottawa this week, shedding light on the Indigenous and Métis experience in education. I think we're making progress. Yes, um, uh, we're moving in the right direction, but more needs to be done and more can always be done to uh, continue with reconciliation and give everybody better opportunities moving forward. When it comes to graduating and breaking into the professional world, the Deloitte report says Indigenous youth are employed at a rate 65% lower than their non-Indigenous colleagues. And moving up the ladder can be blocked by discrimination. Stereotyping and microaggressions. Uh, being excluded from important projects or just being not valued or heard at all in, in, in some of their concerns. Successful major events like the All-Native Basketball Tournament, bringing thousands of people and millions of dollars to Prince Rupert annually, a shining example of strong leadership within Indigenous communities. The leaders of tomorrow now looking for a fair shot. Travis Prasad, Global News. Well, today was the launch of a major environmental restoration project to build as the largest of its kind ever on Vancouver Island. Kylie Stanton has the details on an ambitious joint project between First Nations, private organizations and government. These coastal bodies of water where rivers meet the sea make up only 2.3% of BC's coastline, but are crucial to the survival of almost all fish and wildlife. Anything and everything 
relies upon these these unique habitats. The problem as sea levels continue to rise, things here at the Cowichan River estuary are changing and fast. And a lot of our data now is coming to show us that we need to do something. To mitigate the impact, the largest ever estuary restoration project on Vancouver Island is set to get underway. A joint effort that will revitalize 70 hectares of marshlands by removing human-made barriers to marsh development and reconnecting freshwater channels to tidal areas. Allow the natural coastal processes of tidal inundation to happen and that will create new channels. It will bring sediment in to help build the marsh platform and restore a lot of that vegetation. The project is expected to cost between two and a half and three million dollars. Work will begin this summer and will continue for the next two years. But time is of the essence. Modeling suggests if there's no intervention, the Cowichan River estuary will lose 50% of its marshland by the year 2050 and almost 100% by 2100. I'm reminded of that old expression that the best time to plant a tree is yesterday and the next best time is today. We've got so much work to do to build back and restore uh, marshlands and wetlands. This could be a fantastic model that we can lift up and take to the many other projects. That there are 442 estuaries on the coast. The question now is just how they will stand up to the effects of rising sea levels and climate change. We will have the results coming later this year that will rank a lot of these estuaries in terms of are they going to be resilient over time, yes or no, and if not, what can we do about it? Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, skin cancer is the most common type of cancer, but experts say it is easily preventable. It's a surprising how much sun exposure somebody gets during the youth years. Why talking sun safety with children is imperative to mitigate the risks. Also ahead, the end of an era on BC ferries, why the corporation has lost its appetite for the Pacific Buffet. Good evening from above the Massey Tunnel, where southbound traffic is still a little bit slow on the approach at the Steveston Merge. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $70 million, plus an estimated 16 Max Millions Lotto Max Dream to the Max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Well, the search for a 23-year-old man who went missing after a night out in Vancouver has ended in tragedy. Police say they found Suleiman Kawar's body in False Creek yesterday. Kawar had not been seen or heard from since May 25th when he told his family he was on his way home from the Mansion nightclub. Over the weekend, family and friends gathered on, on Granville, Granville Island to search for Kawar. The B.C. Coroner Service is investigating the death. The federal government is making it easier for some citizens of 13 countries to visit Canada. Immigration Minister Sean Fraser announcing citizens of those countries are now eligible for visa-free travel to Canada under the Electronic Travel Authorization Program. Those travelers will be able to visit Canada for business or leisure for up to six months if they've held a Canadian visa in the last 10 years or currently hold a U.S. non-immigrant visa. These countries include Panama, the Caribbean island states of Antigua and Barbuda, St. Kitts and uh, Nevis, St. Lucia, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, and Trinidad and Tobago. In South America, we're going to be expanding access for known travelers through the ETA system to Argentina, Costa Rica, and Uruguay. In Africa, we're going to be adding Morocco and Seychelles. And in Southeast Asia, 
we will include Thailand and the Philippines. 200,000 visitors from those 13 countries are expected to come to Canada this year, a number that's thought will increase over the next decade. The Pacific Buffet is gone, but BC Ferries wants your thoughts on what should replace it. The all-you-can-eat service on the Tawasin-Swartz Bay route was suspended during COVID, and due to cost and staffing issues, BC Ferries has decided not to bring it back. An online survey has been set up to gauge the public's thoughts on what type of new, more sustainable offering will move into the space this fall. Ferry says the buffet lost $1.2 million a year and even with a 30% price hike would still operate at a deficit. Well, with the arrival of this hot weather, it's only natural to want to go outside and enjoy the sunshine. But while we have known about the dangers of sun exposure for years, cases of skin cancer continue to climb. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, a new BC-based study is warning parents that kids are not being as well protected as they should be. A day at the beach, a welcome break from the daily grind, but this sunbathing is not without its risk. As the weather continues to be hot and sunny, doctors are reminding people to take precautions. Skin cancer is extremely common. One in every five individuals will get skin cancer during their whole lifetime. The best way to prevent skin cancer is sun protection, which needs to begin as soon as possible. According to research, 80% of all sun exposure happens during childhood and adolescence. We make sure we wear the, the bathing suit that has the long sleeve. I think now that we have a child, we think we realize how much more important things are. Despite the information on sun-related damage and the risk it carries for skin cancer, rates of this preventable cancer have steadily climbed in Canada. Since 1960, the rate of skin cancer diagnoses has grown anywhere between 3 and 8% a year. But the good news is that it's one of the most preventable forms of skin cancer, so we have ways to prevent skin cancer, and that's cutting down the amount of ultraviolet radiation exposure, and there's ways to do that. Hats, sunscreen, and long sleeves are the starting point to stay safe in the sun, which is not always possible. Doctors say even with proper protection, people should minimize exposure to direct summer sun, between 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. It's almost time to win a house, win a car. Coming up after Christie's forecast, your first look at the 2023 PE Prize Home. Take a tour next. And later. It's helped them in a lot of cases, it saved their lives. A quiet getaway and how it's supporting veterans and first responders. All your local news. All your breaking news. All the news you need. Get it at 6. Global News Hour at 6. All right, senior meteorologist Christy Gordon is back with a full look at our weather forecast and looking at all mm -hmm. of that red on that map behind you, Christy. It's a little uh, disturbing. Daunting. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Considering how dry it is out there. I just wanted to give you an idea of the peak of the heat. So for the south coast, we've got one more day of heat, whereas those of you in the interior, it'll be tomorrow and Thursday. Uh, the 33 degrees for the south coast is Port Alberni for Metro Vancouver. Away from the water will be up to about 31 degrees. That 37 is for the hot spots like Ashcroft, Lytton, for example. Okanagan Valley, you can expect about 35, and that's the case for the Kootenai region also. Uh, the fire danger rating has surged across the south coast. We've got 
number of areas now at a high to extreme values. Uh, that's the case in through the central interior region as well. So it's no wonder they're now putting the campfire ban in place. And I want you to note, it is going to be in place this Thursday as of noon, so June 8th, for almost the entire province, except for Haida Gwaii and except for that southeastern corner of the province. So all areas, no campfires as we head into the weekend. The reason why the southeastern corner not included, because of the rainfall that we were mentioning. By the south coast, we're going to see very little bit, a very little as you can see here. It's just a chance of showers for Metro Vancouver. By the way, it's been a month since we've seen any substantial rain in Metro Vancouver. But the southeastern corner of the province could see anywhere from 20 to 25 plus millimeters of rain. This is Friday into Saturday before it shifts out of the region, whereas the south coast, not much at all. So there's your forecast for tomorrow, your Wednesday, everyone. We're talking about mid-30s for the southern interior. Some key areas like Lydon could be up to 37, uh, 33 for Port Alberni and 31 for a wave from the water uh, across the lower mainland region. Now, Thursday temperatures will come down a little bit. We are expecting a bit of cloud cover late in the day, but certainly much cooler with that chance of showers on Friday. But again, we're not expecting much for Vancouver Island and we're right back into sunshine, it looks like, over the weekend for Metro Vancouver. So it's a one-day event. Tonight's central windows, weather window, a stunning sunset. Thanks to Arlene for that one. This is looking out from northern Vancouver Island. Sophie, back to you. All right, thanks, Christy. Well, home ownership is just a dream for many in Metro Vancouver, but today was the chance to kick the tires, so to speak, on one that could be yours if you're extremely lucky. Take a look. This is the 2023 PE Prize Home in Langley. It's more than 3,700 square feet with five bedrooms and five and a half bathrooms. It includes a rec room and listening lounge and a one bedroom legal basement suite. Total prize package is worth $2.3 million. The one bedroom suite is something that we're hearing from all of our winner, from all of our uh, customers that it's important for them because whether you're looking for something that's a passive income or if you're looking for just extra space to house whoever's visiting, uh, you have that with this house as well too and it comes fully furnished. Prize home tickets are available online and of course at the fair August 19th to September 4th. And after a two-year pandemic break, the CKNW Kids Fun Picnic at Playland has returned in a big way. Close to 3,500 school-aged children had free reign at Playland today. They all have various challenges, and today was a chance for them to experience a fun, worry-free day out that they might not otherwise enjoy. The first CKNW Kids Fun special day out was held back in 1956. Definitely feels like summer is here, or at least it is almost here, but when the, when the rides are going at Playland, <laughs> and cotton candy is being sold. You know what those, those people not, should do? That's a bad combination sometimes, depending on the ride. Well, we've tried that. Yeah. We've tried eating on rides at the same time. <laughs> yes. Got a little and, messy. And putting on mascara. I guess we could. That was, that was actually, when you put on your, that was one of the most dangerous things I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, like looking back now, I realized that that was... Surprise, both your eyes are still working, actually. There's a... Are you okay? Lie or something. Need that some just help? Hit my cheek. I'll be over there in a sec to help okay, you. Thanks. Uh, but first... The PGA and Live Golf are suddenly friends. That's kind of like seeing Optimus Prime and Megatron out for dinner together. PGA Commissioner Jay Monahan made the announcement today. Listen, I, you know, circumstances change and they've been changing a lot over the last couple of years. 
Oh, I'll say they changed. Last year, he was calling out players who left the PGA for the big money of Live Golf, saying they'd never be allowed back into the PGA. They've changed. Also ahead tonight. We would not be here where we are today, saving the lives we're saving, if it wasn't for Dave, Super Dave. The local legend volunteering countless hours to provide a safe place to land for our men and women in uniform. Wild swing in the golf world. <laughs> Nobody expected this. Nope. Nobody expected this coming. at all. It was kind of like, it was kind of like being hit in the back of the head with a golf ball and nobody yelled for to warn you ahead of time. The PGA and Live Golf announced they are merging along with the European DP Tour as well. After all the acrimony over the last two years between these two sides, the lawsuits, the counter lawsuits, players who join Live and those who stay with the PGA no longer being friends, the leaders of the two sides have come together. They've been talking to each other for the last seven weeks. They buried the hatchet into a sand trap somewhere. What this exactly means for the future of golf, we still don't know because details haven't really been worked out. The two parties really don't know themselves how this is all going to work. But PGA Commissioner Jay Monaghan did meet with the players at the Canadian Open in Toronto today, and he faced a lot of anger. He was called a hypocrite. Some players asked him to resign immediately. Remember, some big names on the PGA Tour, like Rory McIlroy, refused a lot of upfront money from Live Golf to stay with the PGA. The commissioner said after the meeting that a deal had to be made with the Live Golf Tour and the Saudi investment fund that bankrolls it. We just realized that uh, we were better off together uh, than we were fighting or apart. And by thinking about the game at large uh, and eliminating a lot of the friction that's been out there. And as we finalize this process, I think any player that has stayed is going to realize that the money that they've the money that they're going to make, the strength of this platform, all the things that we talk about are, are, going to, is, are going to put them in a really strong position. They're going to win. They're going to continue to grow. We'll see what happens next. Uh, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, BC Place, the Vancouver Whitecaps against Montreal for the Canadian Soccer Championship. A trophy Vancouver did win last year over Toronto, and the Caps say... There should be a good crowd for this one because lately there have been a lot of empty seats at BC Place, which is too bad because the Whitecaps have played well at home. But to help get people in, drinks before kickoff are half price. All drinks. I'm guessing there will be a lot of chugging or buying many cups at once and pacing yourself throughout the match. Now, as we said, the Whitecaps won this last year. It's a win that's etched in Vanny Sartini's mind and now also on his arm. Four hours laying in a bed, The ink has long dried from Vanny Sartini's Canadian Championship tattoo, but the Whitecaps coach is more than willing to add a little more ink to his body if the Caps can repeat their championship feat of a year ago. Well, the plan, uh, like knocking wood, is like in case we win, uh, we can add another date underneath the 2022, put in the 2023. So, you know, I, I said a million times, I. I love this city, I love this club, I love this fan base and 
and the more that I can show and and having I, it's, they're literally, literally under my skin, and so I would love to celebrate with them. And it's Blackman on his right! Champions! Winning back-to-back -back Canadian championships would be a first for a Whitecaps side that's been on the pitch a fair bit of late. Vancouver's match against Montreal, the 10th of 11 games in a stretch of just over a month, but this is a side that's more than up for the challenges ahead. Um, I said it after the Portland game, um, that we were going to get tested quite a lot in the last few weeks, and I thought that we've done a tremendous job of getting to this point and, and being, you know, as healthy as we are, as fit as we are, as, uh, you know, obviously have a final at home and, and, and being the standing that we are in MLS, I think, shows to the character of the group, and we're excited to be in this position. The Montreal side Vancouver faces in the championship final is a lot different than the one they kicked 5-0 back in April. Montreal's picked up points in seven of their last ten matches and are now just two points out of an MLS playoff spot. And just to make sure his squad isn't overly confident, Vanny Sartini had a special video meeting prior to Tuesday's practice emphasizing Vancouver's opponents' improved play of late. It's going to be a much, much different game. That game, I think they got a red in the 20th minute, so uh, they were playing with ten men for a majority of the game. Um, and at the end of the day, it's a final. Anything could happen in a final. Um, so... Yeah, it's going, to be, it's going to be a much, much different game, and I think the guys are prepared for that. The Young Stars Tournament in Penticton has its dates finalized. It will be for the prospects of the Canucks, the Edmonton Oilers, Winnipeg Jets, and Calgary Flames. It's going from September 15th to 18th. They'll all be played at the South Okanagan Event Center. There'll also be an exhibition game, BCHL exhibition game, between the champion Penticton Vs and Chilliwack. There you go. All right, thanks, Squire. You're welcome. Next, a special place for those who served our country and the special man dedicated to serving them. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Kamal Kamrali is here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Kamal. Sophie, a new website launched by Surrey Police Service is making a plea to the public to support the transition to the municipal force instead of sticking with the RCMP. The website called DispatchNow.com blames the escalating violence in the city on Mayor Brenda Locke and her resolve to keep the RCMP as the police of jurisdiction, claiming she's playing political games instead of helping put more boots on the ground. We'll hear from SPS on the timing and the price tag of the attack ad. We also have calls into the mayor and RCMP to hear their reaction. Sophie. All right. Thanks for that, Kamil. Well, just south of Ashcroft lies 120 acres of tranquility. Honor Ranch is a peaceful property designed as a retreat for veterans and first responders. It's an idyllic setting lovingly maintained by a man known as Super Dave. And as Jay Durant shows us on This is BC, he has a very personal reason to volunteer his services. A few tunes to make the busy days go by. Somewhere over the rainbow. Dave Hodson has spent countless hours getting on a ranch ready for its guests. We had to go through everything from the ground up. It was seven days a week, 365 days a year. It's not Dave Hodson, it's Super Dave. When you look at the age he is and the hours he puts in as a volunteer. The property just outside of Ashcroft is a quiet getaway for men and women in uniform. A place for therapy and positive mental health for anyone experiencing operational stress injuries, including anxiety, depression, and PTSD. It's helped them in a lot of cases. It saved their lives. Whether it's political, military, 
disasters, whatever, it's all gone when they come in here. The two-month-long tour of Honour just passed through, raising money and awareness for the programs offered at the ranch through Honour House Society. Some need group therapy, some will need that one-on-one, -on -one. some will need medicines to go with that. Super Dave knows firsthand the challenges that come with these careers. He served in the Canadian Navy. What you're seeing as a young man, a young person, I've seen different things in my career of losses of life and stuff that I'll never forget. For well over a half century, Hodgson has called this part of BC home. Now at age 80, he still has a lot of work ahead of him. You make me happy when skies are blue. Managing the ranch and supporting all the men and women who visit. This is saving me in my own way. I don't just sit and watch the world go by, I, I help it go by. Jay Durant, Global News. Super Dave is super indeed. If you know someone just as super who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, don't forget to email your ideas to jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. All right, Christy, concerned mm -hmm. about the next few days. Friday, what a big drop in temperature, though. Massive drop, but you know, that's just bringing us back to seasonal values. So a high of 18, 19 degrees is where we should be for this time of year. So from summer to more spring-like on Friday, yes, and with a chance of a shower, we'll have more details as to how much when we get closer. The roller coaster of weather on the West Coast. <laughs> all right, that's all the time we have. Thanks for joining us tonight. Good night, all.